Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon, everybody. Happy Thursday and a blessed feast of Carlo Vacutis. And we'll be talking about his life in the first hour today. Looking back on a conversation between Al and Karina Turner, author of the book, The Boy Who Knew Carlo Vacutis. And uh, his time on this earth only lasted about 15 years, but he certainly made the most of that time. He's uh, the boy who once described the Eucharist as his highway to heaven, began documenting Eucharistic miracles, and developed a website of miracles from all over the world. We'll uh, celebrate his feast and his love for the Eucharist with Karina Turner. Again, her book is The Boy Who Knew Carlo Acutis. And just a few examples of some things that he had to say about the Eucharist over the years. This is a collection put together by the uh, National Catholic Register that we'll have linked for you in the Christy Guest Archives. And uh, he once said that the more Eucharist we receive, the more we will become like Jesus, so that on earth we will have a foretaste of heaven. Also said, do not be afraid, because with the incarnation of Jesus, death becomes life, and there's no need to escape. In eternal life, something extraordinary awaits us. Uh, I am happy to die, because I have lived my life without wasting a minute on those things which do not please God. Another one, our soul is like a hot air balloon. If by chance there is a mortal sin, the soul falls to the ground. Confession is like the fire underneath the balloon, enabling the soul to rise again. It is so important to go to a confession often. Out of the mouths of the babes, as they say. Those are some a few words by Carlo Acutis that he shared in his short life here on Earth. And we'll have that list for you available at the website, or you can find it at the National Catholic Register. And then, as I said, uh, you know, a big part of uh, Blessed Carlo's life was this discussion on Eucharistic miracles. And we'll uh, approach that from a slightly different angle later on in this hour with Stacey Tresenkos. Uh, she's going to give us a scientist's view of Eucharistic miracles. We've all heard these stories of these Eucharistic miracles. They strike us with wonder and awe. What does somebody like uh, Stacey Tresenkos think? She will walk this through us. She's the author of the book, Behold It Is I, Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence of Christ in the Eucharist. She's also executive director of the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis, and you can follow her on Twitter at Stacey Tresenkos. That's T-R-A-S-A-N-C-O-S. And then finally, in the next hour, we sit down again with uh, Father John Ricardo, looking back at his discussion with the Rescue Project, Remembering Our Identity in Christ. Uh, everywhere you look, the world's asking us where we find our identity, whether it be in race, nationality, political allegiance, sexual orientation, something else. What happens when we rediscover an identity that is rooted in Jesus? We sit down with Father John Ricardo in the next hour. That's all coming up over the next two hours of Crest in the Afternoon after this news break. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, October 12th. It's the Feast of Blessed Carlo Acutis. Today's news brought to you by the Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at AveMaria.edu. The number of Americans killed in the conflict between Israel and the Palestinian militant group Hamas is rising. Uh, we're obviously doing everything we can to support and inform the families. Uh, 
now, sadly, five more families have now gotten the worst possible news that any family can conceive of getting. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby telling reporters at the White House that 27 Americans have died and 14 remain missing. A handful of Americans are believed to be held hostage by Hamas. The total death toll in the conflict is now over 2,700. The U.S. says it has the right to freeze $6 billion in Iranian assets recently released as a part of a prisoner swap. While speaking in Tel Aviv, Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the funds that have recently arrived in Qatar have not been spent or accessed in any way by Iran. Funds from that account are overseen by the Treasury Department, can only be dispensed for humanitarian goods, food, medicine, medical equipment. But critics say it allows Iran to divert its own money to fund terrorists. Blinken didn't confirm news reports that the U.S. struck an agreement with Qatar to stop Iran from using the funds. The Biden administration has faced pressure from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle to freeze money due to Iran's links to Hamas and the militant group's recent attack on Israel. A suspect is in custody after five officers in Minnesota were shot this morning. It's about 60 miles from Minneapolis. All five officers are expected to survive. Officials said the suspect confronted and opened fire on the officers while they executed a search warrant. From your AviMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. being with me. We turn our attention now to Blessed Carlo Acutis. Uh, as Catholics in America try to recover a vibrant sense of what's at stake in the Eucharist. With me to talk about the life of uh, Carlo is Karina Turner, author of several books, including The Boy Who Knew, Carlo Acutis. Great to make your acquaintance, Karina. Thank you. Hello, nice to meet you too. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about uh, the very beginning of Carlo's life. He was born when? Uh, he was born in May 1991 in London, um, but very shortly um, they moved back to Italy because they were only there for business. So British people are quite happy that he was born here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, lay claim. That's good. Um, his, tell me a little bit about his uh, family environment. Yes, um, he grew up as an only child, and um, his family weren't really very religious. They didn't really take him to church um, much. Um, and it was really uh, Carlo's love of Jesus that uh, brought them back to faith, because he, um, he would ask his mother questions that she couldn't answer. And especially whenever he passed the church, he always wanted to go in um, to say hello to Jesus um, and just sort of gradually... Um, his mother um, had to had to find the answers for him because he was so small. Um, mm. I think she said something like, um, "He was so small, but so certain." Um, really. And yeah, he was he was quite he was quite a well-off family. Um, he liked all the normal things. Um, he loved animals. He had about he had four dogs, huh. uh, two cats, lots of goldfish, and he did a lot of normal things. Um, but people did say to his mother, "Your son is special." because he was just very kind and very um, radiant. Do we know anything about the, um, I don't know, the, the, the antecedent conditions that led to his uh, almost intuitive grasp of uh, the divine? I haven't, I haven't heard much 
about that. Mostly what I've heard is that it was it was very um, surprising because he wasn't really getting um, any external yeah. sort of input, and yet he developed this intense um, love and interest um, about Jesus. And his mother would uh, find that he was reading books about the saints and he was wanting to hear about Jesus, and she didn't know where it was coming from. <laughs> That's amazing. That is just amazing. In fact, we have a little clip uh, from... Uh, Carlo's mother, uh, why don't I just play it here, it really talks about the importance of the Eucharist in uh, uh, Carlo's life. Let's take a little listen here. The Eucharist is the light of the world. So, I ensure you my prayers, I ask you also your prayers. Carlo will be beatified the 10th of October in Assisi, which is a special place where St. Francis of Assisi is buried. And St. Francis was a big lover of the Eucharist, really a big lover. He used to attend two Mass a day. Carlo, one Mass a day, used to attend since he was seven years old. Each, year, each day he was always doing a, a, a Eucharistic adoration. So really Carlo showed us uh, uh, his love for, uh, for the Eucharist, uh, like St. Francis because the Eucharist is really the most supernatural uh, things we have in the world. Again, that's Carlo Acutis' mother testifying to his great love of the Eucharist, which, again, seemed to have almost, I mean, I don't want to get overly technical here, but it, it seems to have almost been infused. Um, it, it's, nobody's been able to identify how any external sources that led him to be persuaded. It seems as almost he saw the reality directly. Um, the, the, when did he begin um, this? When was his love for the Eucharist noticed by his parents? How early on? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it had been evident for some time when he asked to, um, off his own of his own bat to receive First Holy Communion, which was at the age of seven. Okay. Um, but by that point, I think it had been sort of going on for quite a while. Right, right. And it, I saw that he never missed daily Mass uh, from the age of 11. Is, is that true? Um, the age of seven, I think. Seven, um, okay. He received First Holy Communion at seven, um, and the former um, Pope's uh, Secretary of the Pope um, interviewed him and checked if he was mature and if he understood the faith, and then gave permission. And he, but he advised that it was done in a quiet place so that um, the concentration could be on receiving the Eucharist and not on a big party. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Carlo received that um, a convent, um, and he walked under a, a door um, to go to go in to receive for the first time, and over the door it said, "God is enough." <laughs> When did he begin um, collecting uh, stories of Eucharistic miracles? Yes, I think that was when he was about 11, okay. um, because once he was confirmed, he became a catechist, um, and he, um, he, um, he, heard it, he heard it somewhere, and I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly where. Something inspired him um, that if he could... It might have been... Um, Mm, no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, some, something inspired him that if he could get people to understand that um, the Eucharist really was Jesus, then people would obviously um, convert and come to Jesus. So mm -hmm. he started to go all over Italy with his parents, uh, documenting all the 
Eucharistic miracles were approved by the church. Um, and he created a display by the time he was 14, which has now been absolutely all over the world. Wow. And he also created a website um, with it all on. And he created a couple of other websites as well, sort of uh, Heaven and Hell and um, uh, Find a Friend in Heaven, a Saint, yeah. and that sort of thing. Well, you know, when you when you hear of somebody like Carlo, your first thought is, "Wow, glad to have him on the team." Um, uh, but then he dies young. What happened? I mean, was he? Did he see any uh, point to his early death? I mean, I, you know, he's the kind of guy I, I'd hope would stick around for a while. Um, he, he, he took it all extremely calmly. Um, he immediately offered um, all his suffering for, uh, for the, the Pope, for the Church, and for his own um, immediate entry to heaven um, to skip purgatory. Mm. Um, and he, yeah, he, he was totally um, calm about it. He's uh, I'm just trying to think of what the quote was. Um, Yes, that's it. He said, I die happy because I did not spend my life wasting my time on things not pleasing to God. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, how, how did he get, I mean, given his high uh, spiritual interests, his intense love of the Eucharist, how did he get along with his friends? That's really interesting because he, he got on with his friends, you know, really well. He was very popular. Um but he, despite the fact that he would be completely open about his faith and he would, um, you know, invite people to, to church things, he would even defend his pro-life beliefs in class um, and even, you know, in the early <laughs> early um, years of the century, that was still uh, quite something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when, uh, what were the circumstances uh, of his uh, decline? I, how early did he realize that he had a serious illness? It all happened very quickly, actually. Um, I think it was very early in October. They they thought he had flu, um, and within a week or two, he was in hospital, um, and he was diagnosed with um, an acute form of leukemia. And it was um, less than a week after the diagnosis. I think he, he died. Wow. So it was all um, it was all extremely. Um, Rapid, yeah. So, matter matter of what two weeks looks like. Is that right? Sorry? About um, two weeks after, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That that is truly amazing. Um, do we know? Uh, I mean, any famous last words? Um, one of the very last things he said was extremely moving um, because a nurse. Uh, asked him if um, he would like the nurse to wake his mother because uh, Carlo was suffering. And he said to her, um, no, don't wake her um, because she's very tired as well and she will only worry more. Wow. So he was lying there dying um, and he wouldn't let the nurse wake his mother, which is, sort of says everything about him, really. Huh. What has he... I mean, this is a remar- just a remarkable human being. Uh, what has he left behind that, uh, you know, you mentioned the Eucharistic Miracle uh, uh, website. Uh, what, other, what other artifacts 
do we have that uh, people can look at, uh, get to understand his life, and even maybe participate uh, in his uh, uh, sanctity? Yes, um, obviously um, there are his websites, which anyone can simply go and look at. Um, there's the Eucharistic Miracle Exhibition, um, which you can have come to your parish. A friend of mine has just arranged it for her parish. Um, and then there is um, his tomb, um, which was opened for the beatification. Um, and that I think they may have opened it again. Anyway, when they had it open for the beatification, that was on live stream as well. So you, if you couldn't go to Italy, you could look um, on live stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and they certainly said they were opening it again. So I hope they, they do. Um, and his his heart was intact and placed in um, a reliquary. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, his parents sort of took it up and presented it during the beatification um, ceremony, which was quite moving. Um, I suppose I should explain when I said they opened his tomb. He was um, he was sort of um, not sure what the official definition is because it's been a bit confusing. But he's partially incorrupt. Okay. And they sort of um, they sort of restored the body, and um, he was on display with uh, modern modern clothing. So it was quite um, quite moving, really. Wow. Uh, one last quick question here: Do we who who backed his cause? I mean, there was no religious order behind it, was there? No, there wasn't a religious order. Um, You know, I'm not actually sure. I think it may have been his diocese. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not sure. No, just it's curious to me because it can be awfully complicated. And um, thank you so much, Corinna. Wonderful talking to you, and I hope we can talk again. Thank you. Nice to meet you. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. Can you imagine receiving a phone call from your child's roommate while they are away at college, telling you that your son or daughter had an accident and has been admitted to the emergency room, but they don't know anything more? In a panic, you call around the hospitals asking about your child. However, instead of being helped, you are told they cannot share information with you because of HIPAA privacy. You are terrified, worried sick for your child. How do you prevent this situation from happening to you? A healthcare durable power of attorney. This legal document will appoint you as their healthcare agent, granting you the rights to all information in an emergency and to make medical decisions on their behalf. As soon as you're able to, you need your child to sign these documents in order to prevent the nightmarish situation we've just discussed. They must be signed, stored, and easy to access so that you can have them at your fingertips the moment disaster strikes. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. We were made for spiritual greatness. The divine image is in every person, however dimly seen in some. God gave man a spiritual and immortal soul. From the first moment in the womb, he or she is destined for eternal life with God. Man, by his reasoning, is capable of understanding the order the Creator has established. By our will, we are capable of aligning ourselves with our true good, which is where we find our perfection. Reason provides recognition of God's voice directing us toward good and avoiding evil. The law of God is made known by our conscience and is fulfilled by the love of God and love of neighbor. Because our first parents sinned, we suffer the wound of original sin. 
Thus, while we still desire good, we are inclined toward evil and subject to error. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmitz, Archbishop Nauman, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmitz comments, you'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. The Catholic faith is uh, really focused on Eucharist. I mean, the phrase that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith is really quite overwhelming when you think about it. Uh, compare the Catholic tradition on this point with so many of the other Christian traditions that come out of the 16th century, both the magisterial and radical reformations. And you can see the Catholic Church has maintained an emphasis upon the centrality of the Eucharist. Why is that? Because the Eucharist is not mere symbol. It is truly flesh, bone, hands, and feet. Uh, Behold, Christ said, it is I. My guest, Dr. Stacy Trusenkos, has teamed up with Father George Elliott to give us a, a nice apologetics piece on you know, defending Scripture, tradition, and science on the real presence. It, the book is called Behold, It Is I. Stacy Trusenkos is the author of this book, but also Particles of Faith, a Catholic Guide to Navigating Science that we've talked about with her before. She's the executive director of the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. And uh, Stacy, good to have you back here. Thanks. Hi, 
Al. It's good to talk to you again. Let's let's, uh, if you don't mind, let's jump right to the the science of it because uh, we've done over, over the years we've done quite a bit on the biblical and uh, patristic aspects of uh, Eucharist. Uh, but I guess what does science say? Uh, what, where do you even begin when you think of science in the Eucharist? In the mind of many people, they're at polar opposites. Yes, and, and we, when we wrote the book and we called it um, Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence, we thought that we would include the science part because it seems like today you have to address that. Yep if you're going to talk about scripture and tradition. So that's my part of the book. Father George Eliot, a priest in our diocese, um, had the idea to write an apologetics book on the real presence because he's always explaining that to people mm-hmm. in East Texas where there's a whole lot of Christians yeah. versus not a whole lot of Catholics. Yeah, that's right. And so he explains that, and he asked me if I would do the science part, mm-hmm. because we felt like that was needed in a three-pronged approach to an apologetics book. No, I think it's, it's a smart way of going about it. <laughs> where, where do you like to begin on the science <laughs> side of it? Are we talking about a miracle we, here? Yeah, the, well, you know, this kind of, if you don't mind, I'll tell you how we how we even came to this book. Sure. Um, our, our bishop there in the Diocese of Tyler is, is Bishop Dro- Joseph Strickland. Mm-hmm. And when I became the executive director of his institute, the St. Philip Institute, he had asked me to start giving some talks on Eucharistic miracles because he felt like that would really strengthen the faith of, of people in the area. Um, and because um, a, a cardiologist who lives in Tyler, his uh, daughter had sent him a video of the Buenos Aires miracles, and he had he's a good he's good friends his family's good friends with Bishop Strickland, and he had sent the video to him, and so Bishop Strickland saw this video about the Buenos Aires miracles, and he asked me then because of that to start maybe giving some talks on the Eucharistic miracles. And so I started doing that, but being a chemist myself, I, I told Bishop Strickland, I'm not really comfortable giving talks on the scientific investigations when I haven't even seen the data for myself. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just kind of repeating what other people say, and I, I don't, I'd be more comfortable if I could see the data. So that, that's kind of what led Father Elliot to asking me to join him in writing this book, and um, we can get into it more in a minute, but you know, I was very shocked at where my investigations of the investigations led me when I was researching these miracles. Uh, is can science say anything about the real presence of Jesus? I mean, uh, we talk about him being present under the appearance of bread and wine, so the evidence of our senses indicates that it's bread and wine, uh, but he's there. But is he there in such a way that science can even approach him? Exactly. And that, you know, I'm a chemist, and when I, and I'm a convert, and when I converted, I remember saying, you mean there's nothing going on different with the atoms and molecules in that bread and wine, <laughs> right. and you want me just to kneel down and stare at it and say, yep, that's Jesus, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very strange, you know, and the answer, of course, was yes, that's what transubstantiation right. means, that the atoms and molecules don't do anything different, but Jesus told us, this is my body, this is, you know, this bread and this wine, this is my body. So 
you just have to make this act of faith. And um, it's a really pure and simple act of faith. If Jesus said it, then I believe it Mm -hmm. in the story. So when I heard about Eucharistic miracles, you know, and that a Eucharistic miracle is when something does happen with the atoms and molecules, like they actually change their physical substance. They change from bread to flesh mm-hmm. or from the wine to not just to the real presence of Christ, but the substance actually also changes into blood. So there have been reports of miracles like that in the history of the church. Um, and I, you know, when I did the, when I studied the data from those investigations, I honestly found the ones I looked at not to have been done very well. Like, I think if the goal was to prove that the the bread became heart tissue yeah. or the wine became physical type AB blood, I think the investigations could have done been done better. Yeah. But where Father Elliot and I came out in the whole book was, look, Eucharistic miracles could actually could definitely happen. No question about that. They absolutely could happen. But we should not base our faith on the Eucharistic miracles. We should base our faith on what Christ said that this is my body. So we kind of yeah. came full circle trying to go through the science. We came right back to scripture and tradition. <laughs> do you do you do what reason would do you think they that the there wasn't the kind of scientific rigor in the investigations that would make you comfortable? Well, um, I don't know why, and I you know I go into quite a bit of detail in the book, and you know I just want everybody to know that we didn't set out to write the book that way. Like when I told Father Elliot, "Hey, look, I don't really know if I can conclude the same thing these these." people who did these investigations concluded, um, we almost said, you know, he almost said, why don't you just write a separate book then? <laughs> and, but, we, but we decided to keep it together, um, but that wasn't where we planned on going. But So why do I think they weren't done very well? Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, I can give you a couple examples, though, what please. I found. Yeah, please do. Um, with like with with the Lanciano miracle, that is the most famous one, right? Mm-hmm. The the one that comes from 700 A.D. Yeah. The Dr. Le, Eduardo Linoli in the 1970s did a very thorough investigation for his time, and so I am I actually admire the way he did the investigation. But when I got his report um, and read the actual things that he wrote, he said something in the very beginning that I I don't think people notice very much today. Um, he was talking about how the the blood, when it when it dried up and, and clotted, that the blood from the Lanciano miracle clotted into five blood clots, to five pieces. And so, if you go and look at it today, you see five like dried chunks of blood. Mm-hmm. And the very first verification of the miracle is on record as saying that those five chunks all had the same weight. That they, even though they're different sizes and different shapes, they all had miraculously the exact same weight as the other ones. And even when you put all five chunks on the scale together, the five chunks together had the same weight as any one of them individually. Hmm. Now, that would truly be a miracle yeah. to see something like that. Yeah. But in all the verifications after the first one, even the one that Lanciano, I mean, that um, Dr. Linoli did in the 70s, they all say that 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 part could not be verified. In other words, when they weighed the 
the clots of blood separately. They didn't, in fact. They did not have the same weight. And when you put them all five on the balance, they did not have the same weight. So that, you know, even in the, like, the Vatican exhibit, that um, the international exhibit of the Eucharistic Miracles, that's still repeated, but it's just not true. It's not... Yeah. Um, it's not true. Yeah, yeah, so, no, I, I appreciate... You've got to quit saying that. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Um, I, I de- <laughs> greatly appreciate that, because uh, especially in uh, with the extraordinary explosion of uh, information uh, technology and the mm-hmm. uh, a- easy access people have to critiques of alleged supernatural activities, uh, we certainly mm-hmm. don't want to find ourselves, as the Catholic Church, overstating... Uh, what is really um, uh, verifiable? Well, you know, right. again, I, I take St. Thomas was very big on uh, maintaining integrity with the evidence of our senses here. So I think it's real important. It's a Catholic thing to be rigorous when you're dealing with uh, the empirical world, right? Exactly. We're after the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what can you? It, so when you have the miracle of transubstantiation, and that's a, is that a miracle of being? Is if if you're not altering the uh, the physical composition of it, can we call it a miracle of being? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I that's the miracle I ended up calling it because you know the word miracle we can define it several different ways. Like you know I think. When I when I gave birth to my children, they, each one of them they were miracles. Yeah, you know that yeah. I don't see how that could have happened. I think all of creation is a miracle, in that it causes awe and wonder. Um, and so it, it's, the word miracle means awe and wonder. And so those definitely are things for awe and wonder. But in a stricter sense of the word, a miracle would be something that happens beyond the order of the universe that we know. So like, you know, if if someone started. Um, levitating in front of me and flying around the room, you know, that's not something I would expect to see, given what I know of the universe. Right. Um, and we would call that a miracle. And if if the host actually turned into a real human blood, that that's what we would call the Eucharistic miracle. But the miracle of being just you know, that word is, that verb to be and is is, is a form of that verb. It really, you know, what I, and I'm, I'm getting this also from Father Stanley Yaki, so I want to give him credit because yeah. I studied the work that, that he had. But he kind of, he said the same thing, that that really the purest and simplest act of faith is to believe the testimony of Jesus Christ when he said, this is my body. Yes, um, yes. We take that very literally, and that is the simple miracle of being that, that he asked us to believe, to yes. believe in him. Very good. Stacey, hold it there if you don't mind. Uh, we're going to continue on, on the other side of the break. My guest is Dr. Stacey Tresenkos. The book, Behold It Is I, Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. 
We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. With so much going on in the world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. What do you need to know today? Stay tuned to Cresta in the Afternoon and Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio as we bring you the day's top stories and conversations from an authentic Catholic perspective. This program is brought to you in part by MyLifeAngels.com. MyLifeAngels provides peace of mind by notifying you the moment a loved one enters an emergency room. Right on your smartphone, you'll have instant access to everything needed including all legal documents, to ensure you are empowered to protect their life-affirming wishes. My Life Angels also alerts hospital ER staff with critical medical information and emergency contacts. More information at MyLifeAngels.com. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. Want a simple way your family can share Christ's love with someone today? Practice the Ministry of Kindness. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's an outward sign that the Holy Spirit is alive in our hearts. So when your family goes out to dinner, or runs errands, or goes out for any reason, remind each other that your mission is to leave everyone you meet a little bit happier than you found them. Be sure to speak politely to the server at the restaurant. Smile at the people in the store. Let someone go ahead of you. Remind your kids to hold the door for others instead of running them over. Look for little ways you can give others a little hug from God through your loving witness. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Never miss an episode of Cresta in the Afternoon. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on demand at AveMariaRadio.net and on the Ave Maria Radio app. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Stacy Tresenkos. She is a co-author of Behold, It Is I, Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence. She's co-authored it with uh, Father George Elliott. It comes with a foreword from Bishop uh, Joseph Strickland. And we were talking about the importance of uh, when you're faced with empirical claims, such as 
uh, we have here uh, the, the part. Uh, we have a heart muscle, or we have uh, this is a certain type of DNA or something. If you're going to make an empirical claim like that, then you have to apply rigorous uh, examination of it, uh, because that's that's where we do our best work, right? That's what's that's what's great about science is it's a certain set of operations and procedures that enable us to uh, affirm truths about the uh, uh, physical world. Um, but when you get into the realm of miraculous claims, well, in, in many times uh, we know that, for instance, uh, in the case of the Eucharist itself, transubstantiation can't be subjected to empirical analysis. Uh, what would you actually investigate? You've got the words of Jesus. This is my body. But I do want to go, Stacy, to the Buenos Aires miracles. There are four of them that occur. And tell me what they are and why they are so significant. Because they're, they're in the 1990s, so, I mean, they're fairly close to us. Right. Yeah. Well, there were four Eucharistic miracles reported in the 1990s. There was one in 1992 um, when a, an extraordinary minister um, went to reserve the Blessed Sacrament and found two pieces of the consecrated host on the corporal. And so he put those, or she rather, put those and gave them to the priest, and the priest put them in water to dissolve them, which is what you're supposed to do, what the priest is supposed to do whenever um, a consecrated host is found right. in some place that it's not supposed to be, um, to let it dissolve completely. And so the report is that when the priest went back and looked at it, that that host had turned bloody. Mm -hmm. Well, there was an, so no investigation was done that time. And then there was another one in 1994 that was a similar circumstance um, where a host was dropped on the floor and, and then preserved, put in the water and it was found to be bloody later on. It was the last one in 1996 that was investigated. So in this, in this instance, and these were all in the same, um, parish in Buenos Aires, um, a woman found the host very dirty in a candle holder at the back of the church. And so the presumption was that it was consecrated and she gave it to the priest and he again put it in water, stored it in a tabernacle in the sacristy and went back um, 10 days later and saw that not only was the host starting to turn into something that looked bloody and gelatinous in the water, it even looked like it had exploded inside the tabernacle. There was red stuff. Wow. So they, um, yeah, they, he got a photographer and the photographer photographed the, the change over even more days as they continued to watch it. Well, the, they ended up taking the red stuff and putting it in a test tube of water and saving it. And it wasn't even until like three years later when a team of invest, of reporters from Australia were doing a series for Fox on, um, on miracle, miraculous reports. And so they had done some other films of a statue that was crying blood and, and some other things. I forget what all they were. But they, they asked this parish if they could come talk to them about this miracle. And so it was only then, after all those years, that they decided to even do an investigation on the the fourth of the miracles that occurred at this church, and so the other three weren't investigated. Okay, um, and it was just this last one that was. But there were and, three years. When this, 
There's three yeah, years. Yeah, and it, it just sat there. Yes, mm-hmm. so there's no, the, the, the provenance is not very secure then, I'm assuming. It's not secure. I mean, you can't on one hand say that there was a chain of custody because the sample was kept at the church. But in a, in, if you were to go into a court of law and say that's the chain of custody, that could even be called into question. Yeah. Like, how do you know it was just, you know, I'm not saying anybody did anything nefarious. Right, just, right. It, it would take more than that. But the the thing that really troubled me about the investigation, and, you know, I'm, I'm fine that this starts a conversation or somebody disagrees with me or whatever, but just me and, and a chemist knowing what I know, if you had a substance that was three years old and it was stored in water and you weren't, because you wouldn't store blood in water, that would be the last place you would store it. Okay. Um, it, but it ha- if it hadn't been stored properly and you weren't sure of the chain of custody and you weren't even sure if it was really blood, like it turned into something red, but you wanted to prove to people that it's really blood, you would you would submit it to some kind of mass spectroscopy or some kind of elemental analysis. But the team that was doing the the documentary for Fox, they sent the samples to a forensic laboratory. And, you know, you wouldn't do that. A forensic laboratory is like if you come up on a crime scene that just happened and you, you found a sample of blood on a knife and you wanted to take a sample of the suspect and you wanted to compare the DNA of those two samples and then you could go to court and say, it really seems like this is the guy that was holding the knife. Mm-hmm. Um, you would do that, but you would know that it was blood and you would, and it would be fresh. Um, but for an older sample like this, when you're not even sure if it's blood or you want to prove that it's blood or, and you don't even know what happened to it, those three years sitting in water, um, you just wouldn't send it to a forensic lab. Gotcha. That just, okay. that, to me, didn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, so what conclusions, uh, did that popular documentary on Fox come to regarding it? Did they, did they come to a conclusion? Yeah. And, and that was something else that kind of, um, frankly upset me. You can ask my husband because he got to hear me going <laughs> off about it in the kitchen at home when I was trying to write this. I'm like, why did they do this? Um, but the, <laughs> The people that were doing this investigation, they submitted the sample also for a DNA test at the forensic lab, and the test came back negative. Like, they didn't find any DNA. Okay. But instead of just saying the forensic lab didn't find any DNA in the sample, the investigators instead concluded that this was even further proof of a miracle because if it was a blood sample from Christ— who didn't have a biological father, you wouldn't expect there to turn up uh, DNA in the sample. So they concluded that this was even greater proof of the divinity of the sample because it, it didn't have the DNA. And, uh, you know... Of course, they, were, they, did, they would not have predicted that before the, investiga- before the experiment, though, right? No, and and the experiment was not, it's not an experiment that would have been able to tell you that. I mean, it's the experiment came back with no result. The The normal conclusion would be, well, that's because there wasn't any DNA there. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. Not that that's proof of a miraculous claim that this is DNA from Christ. Yeah. <laughs> that just... You know, and and I don't mean to be critical of those investigators, but if we're going to use this miracle and tell and try to convince non-believers, and you know, I've heard really popular Catholic speakers at youth conferences talk about these miracles and these conclusions, 
And I'm, you know, my husband said, Stacy, go ahead and write what you found because what if somebody asks you in the future if you if you knew this, why did you exaggerate? Why did yeah. you let those exaggerations be? Like, were you so insecure in your own belief that you had to exaggerate yep. to get other people to believe? It makes yeah. it sound like we don't believe. Yeah, yeah, no, that's and very good. I just think that needs to be out there. Yeah, no, I many when I first started broadcasting back in the mid '80s, we had a number of wasn't wasn't an, this was not in association with EWTN. Uh, but with another uh, network, uh, and I, we brought uh, skeptical humanists on, atheists on, to go at it with uh, various types of uh, uh, people claiming whether it's exorcism or whether uh, miracles, one sort or another. And you know, sometimes it went well. Other times, you'd have to say, "Look." Um, th- the reason the reason somebody is maintaining this preternatural claim or supernatural claim mm-hmm. is simply because um, they want to believe it. Uh, there's nothing in the evidence itself that compels it. And nothing's wrong with that, but you at least should say that. You should know the basis upon which you're believing. Is it evidential? So when you see something like this... What what is the proper attitude? Is it simply to discard the possibility, or is there are there any inferences that you can that valid inferences you can make from these phenomena that may be faith affirming? There, well, I would be interested to see other miracles, like the the three that I picked for this book, because I, I was only writing a part of a three-part right. book. Right. Um, I picked the most popular three miracles, the Bolsena, the Buenos Aires, and the Lanciano, and it unfortunately turns out that all three of those had questionable claims associated yeah. with them. Yeah. But I also would like to look, you know, I do think there have been other reports of other miracles that maybe have better evidence of them. But but honestly, Al, for me as a chemist, I mean, the periodic table blows my mind. Like, it, it yeah. blows my mind that God created such an ordered world in the yes, first place. that's right. I honestly, as a chemist, don't need a Eucharistic miracle or any other miracle to affirm my faith. I think it's a miracle that our hearts beat. Yeah. I think it's a miracle that we even lit, that the sun seems to rise as the earth yeah. rotates. You know, yeah. I just... I think it's a miracle that all this hangs together. And I just, I wouldn't want to seem to like cheapen our faith by making it ever seem for me personally that I need there to be a miracle too much when I already think there's plenty in every breath we take that we ought to be on our knees thanking God for. Yeah. I remember reading um, Joseph Ratzinger, then Pope Benedict XVI, when he was talking about how remarkable it is that. Um, the universe is intelligible. That that we can we actually can make sense of it. Uh, and you mentioned the, the periodic table, for instance. Uh, the universe is is just chock full of these remarkable features, which uh, are able to be um, pattern. The patterns are able to be seen as uh, reflecting some uh, high degree of complexity and intelligence. And I think that um, that that doesn't we take that for granted, don't we? Most most of us. I mean, we, we just do. take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have to be that way. 
there there didn't have to be a correspondence between our brains and uh, the the world that we are a part of. Uh, it, we didn't have to actually be able to see this range in the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, I think it's it, the very fact of existence is the first great wonder. Why is there something rather than nothing? And that has always led me in the direction of uh, being grateful and thankful, and that leaves me leads me to God in a very serious way because I don't know who I would thank uh, if He wasn't there. Exactly. That's why we go to Mass to celebrate the Eucharist yep. and give Thanksgiving. I mean, it's amazing that we can kneel before the Creator, the Lord of the whole universe, whenever we go to Mass. He's right there with us. Yeah. It, it's shocking, and I think for, for many of our non-Catholic friends, um, I don't think it really hits them, and, and we have to do a better job of getting it across. <laughs> and, of course, you do that in this book. You keep us uh, honest, and uh, we'll talk again, Stacy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Al. It was great. Dr. Stacy Trusankos, uh, along with Father George Elliott, published this wonderful book, can published. It's called Behold It Is I, Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence. I'm Al Cresto. 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. The state has responsibility to orient things, but they can't take over the rights of the family, like in China, to have one child and that's it. It's a disaster over there. How many tens of millions of abortions have gone on? And one of the things that as a result of that is because of the preference to have boy children rather than girls, you have for every thousand boys or 850 girls. This is a great imbalance. Same thing is going on in northern India. So this is where they, the government cannot take away the primary and inalienable responsibility of married couples and families. And they cannot employ methods which fail to respect the person and fundamental human rights, beginning with the right to life the government cannot force you to kill innocent human beings and still be a humanistic government. It's an evil government. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Can your messy house lead to anxiety? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians states that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If you walk in the door at home and you are greeted by clutter, peace may be hard to find. A messy house can lead to cognitive overload. While we're trying to concentrate on one thing, clutter can distract. According to research, women may be more affected by this type of anxiety. Societal roles and expectations can enhance the stress. To be fair, other underlying mental health disorders can lead to more clutter, depression, hoarding, and OCD, just to name a few. However, clutter can sometimes lead to more creativity. Bottom line, don't let a messy house define you as a good or bad person. Take baby steps to negotiate with those responsible for messes to make change or hire a cleaning person. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on clutter at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net.
Thanks for being with us in that hour. If you go to AveMariaRadio.net, you can follow up on the conversations we had. We'll have the different thoughts that Blessed Carlo Acuda said to share, as well as the books by Karina Turner on his life and by uh, Stacey Tresenkos on Eucharistic Miracles. In the next hour, we'll uh, be joined once again by Father John Ricardo, our ongoing discussion with him on the Rescue Project. And uh, before we go there, I wanted to once again, uh, another special announcement. Our friends at Soul and Light Radio in Idaho need to hear from you next week. They are airing their 2023 Fall Pledge Drive Wednesday to Friday. If you're listening in Boise, Twin Falls, Caldwell, Bloomington, or anywhere else in Idaho, please support your local EWTN Catholic radio station, whether it be the friends at Salt and Light next week or whenever your local station happens to be doing their own uh, pledge drive. Remember that we've talked so much about the power of Catholic radio and the power of EWTN, a story I shared during our own Ivan Murray radio pledge drive a few weeks ago. We shared an interview with Keaton Douglas, who runs a ministry for people who are dealing with addictions. That's one of those tragic things that strikes so many of us. And Keaton emailed me the day after that her interview aired on uh, Ivan Murray radio and on EWTN, saying that, you know, thanks to that interview, she was getting these new uh, contacts from people all over the place. So that once again, that's why you want to lo- support your local Catholic radio station so we can continue to share the message of the gospel, which is exactly what we're doing in the next hour of Father John. We'll be back with more on Cresta in the Afternoon. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon, everybody. Happy Thursday, and welcome to Hour 2 of this edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, asking you to continue to pray for Al and everybody else here at EWTN. And uh, in this hour, we sit down with a guest that many of you know well, Father John Ricardo, priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and executive director of Acts 29, which is an apostolate that is passionate about unleashing the power of the gospel to equip ordained and lay leaders to rebuild the church. And uh, we'll be discussing with him this idea of remembering that our identity is in Christ. Everywhere you look, the world's going to ask you, where do you find your identity? Is it in the football team that you support? Is it in the kind of pop that you drink? Is it in your race? Is it in your nationality? Is it in your political allegiance? Is it on whatever part of the gender spectrum that they're liking to put out there right now? Well, what if we were to set all that aside and say, actually, my identity is in Christ? Um, As St. Paul says in Philippians, I consider everything else a loss because of the suppressing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Uh, Father John will be our guest in this hour. Before we go there, um, another saint to highlight. This is one of those times of the year where you get a bunch of saints back to back that are so amazing. And so, you know, uh, last week we talked about St. John Henry Newman. A few days before that was the feast of uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. And coming up this weekend is the feast of Otrice of Avila, who we'll hopefully be talking about tomorrow. And Father Ed Broom has a nice article where he points out, there are only two weeks in the calendar that separate these two marvelous, inspiring, and lovable saints who truly love us and wants us to love them, Therese of Lisieux and Teresa of Avila. 
Well, and what do they have in common? They're both women, both in the class of the few women doctors of the church, both great contemplatives, both Carmelite nuns, and most importantly, they were great lovers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As Father John would say, they knew where their identity was. And uh, we'll have this posted for you at AveMariaRadio.net, these 10 spiritual lessons from St. Teresa of Avila. And as I said, we'll talk more about her tomorrow. We've got lots to talk about in this hour with Father John Ricardo, looking at the rescue project, remembering our identity in Christ, after this news break. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Thursday, October 12th, it's the Feast of Blessed Carlo Acutis. Today's news is brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at avemaria.edu. The Israel Defense Forces say large-scale strikes on Hamas targets are continuing and a possible ground assault may be coming. The IDF says about 300,000 reservists have been mobilized near the Gaza border. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken speaking about being on the ground in Israel. I also had a chance to see up close the genuinely inspiring solidarity of the Israeli people in the wake of Hamas's attacks. The death toll in the conflict so far, over 2,700. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise is still trying to rally enough votes to become the next Speaker of the House. We're going to be talking some more uh, as a smaller group, but a cross-section representing every swath of our conference. We have people, obviously, of different backgrounds that have different passions. We, for two and a half hours, talked through those. The Louisiana Republicans still must win a majority vote from the full House, and it isn't clear if he has the vote. People receiving Social Security benefits will see a smaller cost-of-living increase in the past two years. Thursday, the Social Security Administration announcing the annual cost-of-living adjustment for next year will be 3.2%. The adjustment means the average monthly payment for retirees will be little more than $1,900 come January. And a New York pro-life pregnancy center that was seriously damaged in an arson attack in June of 2022 and vandalized again with pro-abortion graffiti in March has filed a federal lawsuit against two known pro-abortion activists. Jim Harden, CEO of the Compass Care Pregnancy Services, said he hired private investigators after the FBI refused to investigate the case. From your Ave Maria Radio that news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, my guest is Father John Ricardo. It's our continuing conversation about the power of the gospel in our own generation. Mm-hmm. Father John is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit. He's executive director of Acts 29, and also the developer of the Rescue Project, which focuses on a basic proclamation of the gospel uh, to help renew and enliven uh, not only lay people, but clergy. And Father, good to have you back here. Thanks. Joy to be with you. Always a gift. Our task, our project as human beings is to become like Jesus, hmm. to actually allow the divine life to work within, within us. Hmm. And uh, you wrote a piece recently um, where you go to Matthew 16, where Jesus is asking Peter, who do you say I am? <laughs> And you had a, what I thought was a great little twist on this. Um, we should be asking Jesus, who do you say I am? Yeah. Uh, because questions of identity are front and center uh, in all of our cultural conversation these days. Uh, whether you're talking about sexual ethics, or you're talking about you know, uh, business, talking about uh, celebrity, who are we? Yeah. Who am I? 
Yeah, you know, it, my experience personally as a man, but then also my experience uh, as a priest walking with people, I think it's the fundamental issue for all of us, you know, and, and I often think, I think it's Ignatius, but it, it might be others as well, but they would often say that the Lord in most of us, he doesn't, he doesn't go from point A to point B to point C to point D. He, he finds an area and he just keeps doing this. Yeah. And he keeps going deeper and deeper just and deeper. Just down. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And for me, my life, and for every person that I know, that one issue is identity. Like, who am I? And so we, you, you see people, when we're younger, you know, it manifests it and how we dress and how we wear our hair and yeah, yeah. What, what music we listen to and that kind of stuff. But those things never, I don't think they ever leave us. I think we're, we're desperate to know, like, who am I really? And so we either create an identity, which is what most people do, mm-hmm. so that I can be worth something, mm-hmm. or God reveals my identity and in the process reveals to me what I'm worth, yeah. uh, namely I'm worth, I'm worth dying for to him, right? And when, when that takes hold of somebody, it just brings freedom. And until that happens, I might be a beautiful person, but I'm in chains. Yeah. Because I don't know who I am. That's right. And, and I'm desperate for your attention or your affection or your approval. I don't know about you. It's one of the things that's always, um, I've always thought the thing that probably most annoyed the Pharisees about Jesus was he just didn't care what they thought of him. <laughs> that's true. I, he, I, I know who I am. He, yes. And he, your he opinion means nothing to me. That's right. That's huge. You know, like what a what a grace to be able to live that way. Well, they were accustomed to defining the yeah. spiritual experience of the first century Palestinian Jews. Yeah. And Jesus comes along and says, no, you're placing burden on them that they can't carry. Yeah. You're standing in the way of them entering the kingdom. Yeah. In fact, you're a problem. You're, you're, you're not a help. You're a problem. Right. And he, he disabuses them of their self-importance. Yeah. And our culture is doing something similar to, to folks over and over again. Like, these are the, the contexts that we're establishing, telling you, this is how you will know you have worth. You look this way, you, you speak this way, you've you, gone to these schools. You align with these people, you yeah. hold these political opinions. And if you don't, you have no value. Yeah. And so, again, this issue of identity. And those, those standards change, too. Hmm. And that's one of the advantages of getting old, is that, you remember opinions you once had and how they were applauded by the mainstream of culture. And now those same opinions are regarded as passe or hopelessly antiquated. Right. Um, and if you're basing your identity on you know, what political group you're aligned with, with what uh, you know, music you listen to, which is always a shock, 25 years after, right? you know, right? I liked that, didn't I? Yeah. (laughs) Embarrassed to admit that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Then you're always changing. It's always changing. You cannot satisfy that Cheshire cat out there that keeps disappearing on you. Yeah. I remember preaching uh, on a passage in the book of Revelation where it's stated, and St. Paul has a similar passage in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says um, that adulterers, um, swindlers, right. drunkards, etc. He goes on a whole list. Of, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I remember saying, what has happened here is these people have ceased 
to be themselves, and they've taken on this communal identity. Uh, this is no longer Bob or Charlie hmm. or Guinevere. Hmm. This is adulterer. Hmm. You know, and I noticed in a piece that you wrote recently, you said the devil uh, knows our name hmm. but calls us by our sin, hmm. and. God, on the other hand, knows our sin, but calls us by our name. Yeah. And it made me think of this passage. So we lose our identity to become just a, a, a part of a gaggle of sinners, people who no longer have the capacity to choose the good, the true, or the beautiful. That's at the end of time. Yeah, and I don't know about you. I mean, I th I think uh, of that passage in particular because Paul ends that passage by saying, "And and such were some of you." Very and, good. That's and right. I, and I think it's Archbishop Burns. I remember him talking about this one time, saying, you know, "I mean, the church in Corinth isn't that big, right?" So Paul's Paul's got people in mind. Yes. You know, yes. he was a he was struggled with homosexuality. You know, she was really envious. Um, they were involved in you know all sorts of weird things over here. That's who you were. It's not who you are, though. Right. And and right. to me, the one of the most uh, powerful effects of Jesus's death and resurrection is to understand um, God's version of a cancel culture because God's got one too. Except what God cancels is sin, not people. Yes. <laughs> and so, because there is. Again, this is my own experience personally, but then my own experience walking with people, most especially um, younger women. What happens, here's another spiral. What happens oftentimes is we make bad choices for whatever reason, usually because I want to be loved, accepted, yeah. welcomed yeah. when we're younger. And then the enemy pounces on that and says, you're damaged. It's, it's hopeless. Okay. You're done. And then what, what happens is people then start spiraling. Well, if, if I'm, so they start telling themselves lies. I, I'm damaged goods. Right. I don't fit in. I can't believe what I've done. Uh, I'm useless. I'm worthless. I'm never going to be loved. And they start making worse and worse and worse choices. And that's how so many people have, we've all done this to some degree or another, but so many people even now listening are stuck here. Yeah. And the Lord wants to know, that's not who you are. I can deliver you from that. I can heal you. You, you can accept my mercy, and you can begin again. That's so important. <laughs> Huge. What happens, one of the lies the devil tells you when you're burrowing down like that, he tells you that, look, you're 45 years old now. What do you think you've got left? That's right. You've been this way all this time. That's right. You know, what makes you think you're going to change? And if you do change... Most of your life is shot already. Yep. Don't make the effort. Don't embarrass yourself. Yep. Uh, just, just write it out. You know, you, you can. You got enough money. You'll be fine. Or you'd uh, be better off dead. Or you, and that's when it gets even. And then it gets yeah. really dark. Yeah. That's when it, that it gets. There's nowhere to go at that point. And into this, I mean, that's the idea behind the the hand in the rescue project. Into this comes God's, like. <laughs> immeasurably strong hand saying, you don't have to do anything. You just have to let me grab you. Like, I can pull you out of that place. Just let me, like a, a, a parent trying to pick up a child that's throwing a tantrum, just let me hold you and tell you, like, that's not who you are. That's not how I see you. You're not stuck. Nobody's stuck. You know, I can do, I, I, I work my best stuff when it looks like it's hopeless. Yeah. And, and nobody is in a place right now 
that's hopeless. He can restore what you've lost. Exactly. That's so important for people to remember. You, you maybe you, you can't imagine it, but he can take a life that's been squandered, and in the years remaining, he can do tremendous things. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, uh, it always bothers me when I hear people thinking that they've, I've, yeah, I've shot my wad and I'm done. I can't, there's nothing I can do for the Lord. They might even be Christians, but they still think that, you know, I, I, I didn't get on the train early on, early right. on so right. now, you know, I, I just, uh, I cannot be effective. I, I hate that. I mean, yep. just, I feel, I feel for them. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, if I can honor you, I, I, I've heard you share your story a number of times uh, with depression. Um, I've shared my story a number of times about um, being abused. I, I, I just heard someone say the other day, both about uh, hearing your story and then someone who, who happened to hear mine saying, especially for men, it was so helpful to know, like, you battled that <laughs> and the Lord's able to yeah. use you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, someone similarly said, you know, I had no idea what you went through as a child and the Lord's able to, I mean, I got a lot of issues. Yeah. I can't answer for you, but I got a lot of issues still. <laughs> but it's just hopeful for people to know God God works with broken people. It, it's believe me, I, when I back when I was going through that depression, I I, I did think it was over. Yeah. I thought that my whole that I had made a terrible mistake in becoming a Christian, that I had believed a lie, that uh, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life now. I was in my 30s, for heaven's sakes. Mm. Uh, and I thought life was basically over. I had no idea that, in all, in all honesty, my best years were still ahead of me. Best years as a father, best years as a husband, best years as a minister of the gospel. Yep. And I, I you know, I, actually I tell myself that today. I say, remember what he's done. And we don't emphasize enough that we do need to remember what he's done because even those of us who have stories you know that are uh, kind of big and show God's hand we can get so caught up in what we're struggling with today Mm. that we forget Mm -hmm. what he already has accomplished Mm -hmm. and biblically this is a a refrain from from uh, the exodus forward Remember what yep. you saw. Remember what you heard. Yep. Remember God led you out of Egypt. Remember yep. what He said at Sinai, and in of course, in, of course, at, at Mass. What are the key words? Right. In remembrance. In remembrance. And yeah. the scathing indictment in the Old Testament and the Psalms is, they forgot. They forgot. Father, hold it there. We'll come back and continue our conversation. Father John Ricardo, my guest. Our topic. Well. Our identity as the covenant people of God, our identity as uh, men and women made in the image and likeness of God, our identity in Christ. This is a time in our own culture where everybody's talking about identity, political identities, ethnic identities. We need to get our identity straight, our identity in Christ Jesus. I'm Al Cresto. We'll be right back. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. St. John Bosco taught his followers that it wasn't enough to stop their students' bad behavior. Good discipline teaches children to want to make choices that please the Lord. 
If your child is behaving badly, chances are they either don't know how to meet a particular need appropriately, or they don't know how to apply the lessons you've taught them to a new, challenging situation. To practice good discipleship discipline, take a moment to find out what your child was trying to do by acting that way. Then teach them healthier, godlier ways to meet that need. Taking this approach will help your kids know that they can count on you to help them be their best when they're feeling and acting their worst. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. We just did our parish mission a couple weeks ago now, and I suggested that in the course of the mission that we do something like a, a little mini spiritual assessment of our lives. I don't have to show this to anybody, but a great chance for us just to, with real honesty, just between us and Jesus, ask ourselves some questions. First question, given the fact that half of Catholics don't think God is even personal, would be to ask ourselves that. Do I think God is personal? And then to ask myself, do I think a relationship with Jesus is possible? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? And if so, what's it look like? And then perhaps a little bit more awkwardly or painfully to ask Jesus from his perspective, what's the friendship that we have with him look like? How would he describe our friendship with him? That might be a hard conversation to have. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I told him about the woman who came to me and said her two children hadn't spoken to each other for two years. Their grandma died and she was very wealthy. She left half to each one. She said they're arguing over a commode. She said it's inlaid. Can you imagine being in hell? And somebody saying to you, what are you here for? EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. With so much going on in the world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. What do you need to know today? Stay tuned to Cresta in the Afternoon and Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio as we bring you the day's top stories and conversations from an authentic Catholic perspective. Never miss an episode of Cresta in the Afternoon. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on demand at AveMariaRadio.net and on the Ave Maria Radio app. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father John Ricardo, Executive Director of Acts 29. 
the first segment, we're talking about our identity in Christ and how that is formed through his grace uh, operating in areas of our lives in which we're suffering, in which we are indeed weak. And uh, it is always a great blessing if we're actually able to see afterwards what God was doing in our lives during those periods of weakness and suffering. And uh, we were talking about the the ancient Israelites who, uh, after 40 years in the wilderness, uh, Moses has to remind them of what God has done already. So we're going to pick up the conversation with Father John. So you think about the, the platform the Lord has given you and the countless numbers of people who hear you engage on a whole host of topics. You know, I hazard to guess if you had not gone through so many of the things that you had gone through, you would engage in those topics in a very different manner than you do now. And you would simply be one of many voices, whether it's in the world or in the church, which all sound alike. Uh, They have an edge. um, They stir up anxiety. They stir up anger. I wouldn't doubt that the Lord used uh, some of what you went through, I know he has in me, to one, keep me humble, um, two, to meek me, uh, and just kind of harness me because there's a lot inside of me that can go haywire and I would imagine in you too and all those things and the graces that I experienced help me uh, you know it's Augustine's line I think Lord if I'm too merciful sometimes in how I talk it's because that's how you've taught me that's how you were with me yeah that's so I can be clear please God Uh, you can be clear we can be direct Um, we can speak honestly we can speak frankly Um, but again please God always in charity. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not, I'm, I'm not yoked to him. I don't know if I told you this story before. The year before I went through this depression, started, went on for three years. Um, but the year before that happened, I was managing a chain of bookstores, 10 bookstores. We had to go through a corporate identity change. So I'd never done anything like that before. So I was working hard, trying to make sure we had the right logo. Hmm. All the bags are stamped properly. Mm-hmm. And all the interior of the stores had to be designed a certain way. So I was involved with all of that. And I had an administrative assistant who was really quite good. You know, she, was, she, she could also be a little clingy at times and needy. One day, I noticed she was really not right. She just wasn't herself at all. And so I said, well, you know, go home. I think I talked to her later that night. And she said she was, you know, she was feeling depressed. And now at that time, I didn't, I I basically thought depression was just like the Monday morning blues or something. You just kind of urge yourself to get out of it. Yep. So the next morning, I'm embarrassed to say this, but the next morning I went into the office and she was laying on the floor of, of my office. And I thought, I stepped over her, sat down at my desk, and said, when you want to talk, get up. It's terrible, I know. Um, she finally gets up, she looks haggard. She begins explaining what's going on with her, take her home again. Later that night, she tried suicide. <laughs> my a member of my staff told me about it and urged me to go visit her in the hospital. And I said... No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna reward her attention-seeking behavior. <laughs> well, that's bad. A year later, I was brought low, and by being brought low like that, it completely shattered my sense of how strong I was. Yep. You know, how right I was. 
um, there's simply no way I could have gone on to do the work that I've done since the ministerial work uh, as a pastor and then the years I've spent on air trying to understand um, what God is doing <laughs> in our day you know um, and I, and I often point out to people, too, that I do feel especially blessed in that I, I see a direct connection hmm. between the discipline. That I, I see that. I was, in my mind, this was a God disciplining me. Mm-hmm. Not for, punishing, disciplining. Right, yeah. Yep. He, he was disciplining me for service. Yeah. Uh, and I actually am able to see a direct connection yeah. between what I went on to do and my capacity to listen to people, to empathize with where they're at. That could never have happened. Without that experience, I I, I do say, uh, you know, did it really take that much work on? <laughs> did, did, did I have to go through all of that? But you know, the fact that I've been able to see such fruit from it, mm. I'm grateful. I'm I'm incredibly grateful for that. And, yeah. Well, uh, so Lewis says, right? We don't need to get tweaked. Um, we need a, a major overhaul, <laughs> right, right. you know, so uh, your your overhaul looked like that, you know, mine's looking like whatever it's looking like. And But I, again, I just want to honor you because so you telling both those stories. So that story, that woman, which is not in any way a glory story. Right. I mean, so this isn't yeah. like, well, let me tell you about my convert, you know, my, yeah. my conversion. I, I yeah. was doing this yeah, and this and this. And it sounds like a gl- like I'm reveling in my yeah. sin. This is not a glory story. This is a really ugly incident. But you're telling it in addition to sharing your past. What I love so much, and this is at the heart of so much of what we're trying to share with, whether it's church people, ordained or, or lay leaders, vulnerability attracts. Yeah. Right. I mean, so especially in leadership. Yeah. Like vulnerability attracts. I think we're afraid it's going to repel. Yeah. But you share a story like that, and someone goes, huh, "He can probably identify with me then, because yeah. I've done some really ugly things that I'm not proud of, and I've battled darkness. Yeah. And so you get it, and so you're not going to condemn me. Right. You're going to hear me. That's everything. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what we need in leadership. And I think that when when we do that. There are people who will be able to respond to that that generally can't respond to some of the more traditional ways of uh, exhorting. Exhorting, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's I'm I'm always interested in the people. I'm always interested in trying to reach people who don't who, who don't respond real easily. I'm interested to the person who won't go to the Billy Graham crusade. Right. You know, that right. kind of thing. Yep. It's, it's not that I think what Billy Graham did was wrong, yeah. it's that that kind of stuff didn't work for me, and so why should I try to imitate a, a practice that I didn't find effective? So I, I want to share what... Yep. Because I think that's what eternity is about, too. God is taking each of us and making us saints. We, we say we want to imitate Christ, but in imitating Christ, we become more of who we were created to, to be. be. And that's why the saints are such strange, a strange collection of people. Yeah. I mean, you think of St. Jerome and Teresa Fliso. You know, what do they... What, well, they have in common. Yeah, mm-hmm. personality-wise. Yep. So Padre different. Pio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, um, Father Solanus Casey. I mean, they're oh, probably, yeah. you know... Yeah. So you, you're talking about this. It makes me think of... Um, I've, I've had probably three letters in my life that I've, as a priest, that I've really deeply appreciated. 
and uh, they were all really painful. And one of them was probably, it was about the time you and I first started doing something together at, um, we were at Divine Child. So it was you, Steve Ray. We just saw this picture recently. It was you, Steve Ray, and, <laughs> right. and uh, Patrick yeah, Madrid. Madrid was there too for that. Yeah. You guys were all a lot younger. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, a, a gentleman wrote me there. I'd probably been, like I say, a year, year and a half ordained. And uh, I knew him, knew his wife. And the, the letter said something like, you make faith sound like a Nike commercial. Just do it. And he went on to say, and it was a long letter. Wow. And uh, he said, do you have any idea? It was kind of ironic because he worked in the auto industry. He says, do you have any idea what it's like to work in the auto industry and have a, you know, <laughs> kind of like a senior position and try to balance work, family, faith? And I went, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, <laughs> Your dad. Yeah. So Chrysler one time. But he, he went on to talk about, do you know what it's like to be there and to struggle? And it was, it, it, it probably very early on as a priest uh, forever changed the way I would preach. So that, It was the best thing I could have gotten. So it did. You, you received that. Totally. I, I was angry as I'll get out at first. Yeah. I thought, who the heck are you? And it, what, what do you mean? Do I know what it's like to try to balance all that? Of course I do. You know, I, do you know who I am? I do, <laughs> talk about arrogance. Right? Do you know who I am? Don't you know where I grew up? <laughs> right. And, but it, it forever made me be mindful of... I want to talk to the person who's here who's afraid this he can't be talking to me. Right. I'm I'm right. I'm beyond that. I can't I, I'm not reachable. I'm, I'm never gonna be good enough, I'm never gonna measure up. That's who I want to talk to as well. I wanna I wanna find that man or that woman and let him know I don't care what you've struggled with, what you're struggling with, what's in the past, what's in your present, what may be coming up, I don't care. Neither is God. Like God's God and He's got you. Yeah. And your past doesn't doesn't disqualify you. Right. And your present doesn't disqualify you. That's right. Um, yeah. that's, that's the beauty. That's the hand, again, coming in to reach into your life. So, but again, it was a painful, uh, painful moment. And you actually were familiar with this person, huh? Yeah, I knew his wife better than I knew him. Um, she was in a Bible study that I was leading. But kind it, of gutsy letter. Yeah, I thought so, too. <laughs> I, I gave, so I gave me more credit. I mean, it was like a five-page letter. I might even still have it, Twenty. Six years wow. later, but uh, it was that indelible that it, it happened that long ago, and I have never forgotten it, and I'll be forever grateful. Yeah, like I needed to hear that. That's amazing. That's yeah. That's those are those are uh, those those kind of words are hard to hear, hmm. especially you're starting out. You're just starting out. Yep. As a priest, you're just ordained with a year, year and a half. Yep. Yeah. And the enemy could have used it to just say, "Stop peaking strong." Right. And instead, what the Lord did was, let me meek you. Go into that a little bit more, because, I mean, it's funny. I don't remember, I remember, we knew each other then. We we were at this event together. I don't remember having that impression of you at the time. So I'm curious to know, how did you change as a result of that letter? What did you do differently? I think tone. A tone, and, and I would always... So a couple things. Uh, one was tone. One was I, I, I try to never say you. Oh. Um, I'm always mindful of Daniel's prayer of repentance. We Lord yes, have sinned. Can. Gotcha. It's not you people. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So in other words, I don't want to preach at you. Yeah. I want I want to reflect on God's word with you. Yeah. And if I'm being, I don't know about you when you were preaching when you were pastoring. 
I'm, I'm more or less letting people into how God's talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> this is what he's saying to me in his word. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I'm going to basically let you in on it, you know, unless I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us as a family, of which I'm a part. Yeah. Even if I'm the father spiritually. But so whatever I'm going to say, it's addressed to me first, not me talking to you. But I don't know if I was always as attentive to that as I should have been early on. So I I try never to say you, always we, always us. um, And uh, and maybe always try to find some way to um, appropriately make known my own scars. Yeah. Like, I want you to know, I don't think I'm all that. Father, hold it there. We're going to continue that conversation on the other side of the break. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for the caregivers of the sick. O Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we adore you. You have first loved us, and through your Son, you have taught us the excellence of self-giving love. Give to those who are caregivers of a sick parent or child, brother or sister, the assistance of your holy angels. Lessen their burdens and give them great joy in practicing a work of mercy. And since charity is never forgotten by you, reveal to them their heavenly reward. Amen. Man failed the first test of freedom. 
He refused God's plan of love and chose freely to sin and made himself a slave to sin. That first sin gave mankind the gene or inclination to sin, which has given birth to numerous other sins. The Catholic Catechism reminds us that the exercise of freedom does not imply a right to say or do everything. Man is not totally self-sufficient, and his final goal is not his own self-interest and the enjoyment of earthly goals. When man violates the moral law, he becomes his own prisoner, disrupting neighborly fellowships while rebelling against divine truth. For freedom, Galatians tells us, Christ has set us free. He redeemed us from sin, which held man in bondage. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me is Father John Ricardo, Executive Director of Acts 29. We've been talking about our identity in Christ, and in particular, uh, we're discussing uh, Jesus' leadership and how he is leader through being a servant and how he demonstrates his strength through weakness and suffering. Let's pick up the conversation. It's so funny because when I was younger, I had a number of sales jobs. You're always trying to present perfection. You're trying to show that you're utterly trustworthy. Uh, all these things are good, reliable, and you shy away from anything that might hint right. that you're not the leader or the manager or the salesman that you ought to be. And I think that, co- I think that I, well, actually, I know that some of those principles have been used in seminaries, too, at least in Protestant circles. Catholic, too. Catholic circles, too, yeah. So I, I, I do think it's the le- Jesus' leadership is different. He's certainly strong. Yep. But his, I've, one thing I noticed, that his toughest language is always for those in presumed positions of power and authority. Mm-hmm. That he always kind of... He might dials it down when he's dealing with an individual whose sin is quite apparent mm-hmm. to him and to the gospel writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't mean he isn't strong. Uh, think of the woman at the well. Right. You know, there's one of my favorite pa- favorite passages of scripture showing Jesus. First thing he asks, first thing he says, is, "Do you have water? I'm, you know, do something for me mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I need. I need. Right. Jesus is saying, I need. Right." And that leads to just one of the greatest stories uh, in the history of the human race. That that's that's a fantastic. Even on, even if even if we didn't believe it was historical, yeah. it would be a great story. Right. You know. Yeah. We we have a huge frame print. One of my favorite paintings is uh, Caravaggio's um, uh, encounter of Thomas and Jesus, and uh, I think. Uh, Dr. Bob Schutz in the JP2 Healing Center, they use this often as well. But, you know, here's the Lord, you know, he's like lifting up his shirt. I mean, so he's literally exposed, right? And he's just taking Thomas's finger and saying, like, here's the wound. Like, that's the model of vulnerability. There's no doubt Jesus is Lord at this point. Like, I'm I'm, I'm back from the dead. (laughs) But he's he's not hesitating to show his wounds. I, I think that's a huge part of leadership is being able to be strong and yet be vulnerable right. and able to be wounded. 
like making it known, I am able to be wounded. Yeah. We, we, we have a, one of our, uh, we call it an apostolic value, not a core value, but in our work uh, amongst our team is just being authentically human. And part of what that means is it, it, you have permission to be real. Yeah, yeah. Like it's okay not to be okay. Right. And, and if you're not doing well right now, we don't have anything else to do. Your well-being matters more than the work because this is the work. This is the work, yes. Because relationships are at the heart of everything we're trying to do. And, and I don't know what your experience is, but, you know, over the last three and a half years especially, just kind of seeing the various things going on in the church in different places, if there's a fundamental problem with the church right now, this will sound maybe a bit bold to some people, I, I just don't think we know what it means to be human. Yeah. Like we need to learn how to be human again. So much in the church is functional. So much of it is transactional. Um, and, and the Lord is, it, it's that great line in God in Spes, uh, Jesus doesn't just reveal the Father to me. Yeah. Jesus reveals humanity to me. That's right. He teaches me what it means to be a man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not just a revelation of God, but this is what authentic humanity looks like. How to play, how to work, how to eat how to rest, uh, how to serve, how to everything. And, um, you know, John Paul used to quote over and over again, probably because he wrote it, um, you know, it's only in the light of uh, the incarnate word that the mystery of man becomes clear. That's right. That's right. That that has been such a significant passage for me, uh, probably over the last 25 years, like, like, I find myself over and over again just saying, Jesus, I, I have no idea how to be human right now. Like, I don't know what, to, what it means to be a man. I don't know how to work. You know, I'm up at night. <laughs> you're, you're not. Yeah. You're saving the world. I'm saving <laughs> nothing. Like, you're sleeping soundly. <laughs> Here I am, like, like, agitated and whatever. Like, teach me. Like, how did you do this? Like, how, how do I do it now? You're, you're in me. How do I do this? Yes. Like, teach me to trust the Father the way you trust the Father. Teach me to surrender the way you surrendered. Um, enable me. Don't just teach me. Enable me to do that. That's why your spirit's in me. So, um, this is a huge, uh, I, I know the, the whole 60th anniversary of the, the council, but this is a huge piece that I think is yet to be unmined by us in the church. It's true. People still have the idea that uh, Christians, church-going people, go there because they have they think they have some higher uh, moral status. Yeah. You know, I, I had my brother Michael before his death. Um, I was trying to urge him, you know, to return to the Catholic Church. Or actually, I would have been satisfied if you're going anywhere. Right. But um, and. And he said, and uh, he, he died shortly after, uh, he said to me, look, I, I'm just not good enough. You know, and I, obviously to me that's, the bells go off. Right. You know, it, it, but I, I, was, I was unable to penetrate that. Um, I mean, he, Michael thought that the gospel was about God sitting on the side of the riverbank as you're there, you know, be, some, doing something between drowning and swimming. Yeah. And, and God's on the riverbank saying, hey, try harder. Right. Yeah. Right. Try harder. Come right. on, you can do it. You can do it. Right. He didn't understand that the gospel is about God 
in the water with you, right? coming alongside you, uh, strengthening you, helping you move forward. Wanting you to win. You, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, and I don't know how that, I don't know what, how that would change. I mean, obviously it has to change with leadership, right? Leadership has to be able to demonstrate that vulnerability and that humanity. Yep. Um, and then, so preaching is one way. Yeah, preaching is one way. way. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I think how we model uh, leadership to one another when we're with, uh, you know, other, especially other entities where we know people involved here are Christian. Just just being attentive to the fact we call it. I don't know what what you do here uh, when you're out in public with different pro, uh, folks from Ave Maria, but uh, we we call it something like a very um, implicit sub curriculum. We don't want to just share the gospel with you. We want to try to to share with you how to implicitly be. how to be. How to be. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> exactly. Know. Yeah, uh, and that's actually what makes the deeper impression on some people. It's like we just watched you. We we were out someplace. We were doing some work in a diocese, and we kind of spent all day with this uh, uh, archbishop and his his uh, key leaders. And uh, we went out to dinner that night, and we didn't realize this was uh, kind of in the height of COVID. So we're eating under a tent outside. At, we didn't realize the people we were kind of ministering to that day were in the tent. And at the end of the meal, one of the guys walked up and he says, uh, you know, said, hi, and, you know, we're here too. And he said, we've been watching you guys all night long. And we can't fathom doing what we're watching. Like, we, we saw you, there were four or five of us just, you know, ministering to us all day, pouring out. And then here you are at the table and you're just laughing and having fun and clearly uh, talking about the Lord and just talking life. <laughs> and we get done with work and we want to get away from each other. Yeah, right. right. Like, and, and just begged, like, you're going to teach us how to live that way, right? Because that's what we need. That, that's what we want. We, we want to learn how to do life together so that as we serve the Lord, we can do this in an ever more human way. You know this. I mean, once you've tasted family, yeah. Uh, the body of Christ doing ministry together with all the ups and downs and all the challenges that come to be sure. That's why you have to have permission to be real. You'll never do it another way. Right. Right. Never do it another way. Yeah. And God wants that to happen in every context in families and marriages and in Christian apostolates and parishes and dioceses. Like this is real. This can happen if we just be cognizant of the fact that God's in the water with us and he wants to pick us up and he wants to help us and stop struggling, doing it on our own and stop settling. Yeah. Uh, stop settling. In other words, you think people should be aware that they are dissatisfied? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think they are better. I don't know about you. Well, you know this because uh, you, you have friends who are married. Um, <laughs> and what what happens oftentimes, right, in relationships is you go, "Wow, I don't like where we are, but it's going to take so much work to get beyond this." We're just going to I can do this. Yeah. It's not thriving, but I can do this. And I think that's where lots of, whether it's marriages, families, yeah. apostolates, parishes, we just settle. We do that with our lives. You were talking about this earlier. Like, mm-hmm. it's just going to be too hard. Just, just coast it in. Right. And God's always calling us more, not, not out of like, come on, there's more in you. Right. But th- there's that hunger in me. I, I've, I've been so taken uh, of late by um, just the virtue of magnanimity. Yeah. And to me as a man anyway, because I can't answer for a woman, I have no idea how a woman thinks. Um, but as a man, like, I so want to be great. Yeah. And 
we just have to redefine greatness. What does it really look like? Yeah. But there's something in all of us as men and women that, that's just like God made me for greatness. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm doing it for my own glory, then there's something wrong with it. But I'm doing it for Him. And so to, be, to, to get to that point where you're, you recognize I'm not satisfied with where I am right. personally, with where I am spiritually, with where I am in this relationship, with the work, whatever it might be, and to recognize, well, that's a gift. God, God's making me aware of that because He's saying it's a you divine, don't have to be there. Divine discontent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we shouldn't we shouldn't just uh, ignore that. You mentioned in, in marriages, and that I immediately think of myself and Sally, and we got married in 1977. And I think you know most people looking at this, our life would say, "No, oh, good marriage." And true, we have, but I'm still working on it. Right. I mean, I still find that I'm not as attentive to her desires as I need to be. I'm involved with my own projects. I've got a very active mind and imagination, and I have to just say, what are you doing here? Are you pursuing curiosity, or are you actually serving someone? That's one of the reasons we became a, a lay Dominican, because yeah. they, they managed to keep intellectual activity focused on service. So yeah. I thought, that's what I want to be. That also means, then, that I, I have to lay down yeah. the book or shut off the, you know, the audible.com in order to just spend time. Because she's going over here like, hello. Yeah, yeah. And she's, she's got a great garden she's working in, yeah. you know, and she's got her things. So yep. But it, I do think that's important because I learned a long time ago, I don't know who said it. I didn't say it, but I, and that is how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. And, and I think that's still uh, true. And so marriages, if, yeah. you're not, if you think your marriage isn't resembling, yeah. I mean, I don't see how any Christian man can think that they're, they're utterly satisfied in their marriage if they think of themselves as Christ loving the church, right? I mean, because who measures up to that? Right. And that's not to be something to discourage us. It's, it's meant to call us to experience a love that very few people experience. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, but I, that divine discontent, I agree with you that you, don't, don't ignore it. Right. That's Say, a tremendous gift. Yeah. yeah. Life can God's be God's stirring things up. Yeah. 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 Thankfully, he, he doesn't do that constantly. But, uh, <laughs> right. Yes. But he does it, right? And when he does it, you want to pay attention. Yeah. yeah. That concludes our first half of the conversation with Father John Ricardo. We pick up the second half continuing to talk about our identity in Christ, what it means to follow Jesus into serving the world. Do you have a bad temper? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. From the Old to the New Testament, Scripture speaks about us controlling our anger. Proverbs states that those of us with a hasty temper will make mistakes. We also know anger issues can lead to health issues. We can cause a fight, lose a friend, or witness to others in ways that are unproductive. Mayo Clinic suggests some ways to manage our anger and dial down the temperature of our anger. Practice deep breathing, maybe a personal timeout. Think before speaking. Calm down before discussing a concern. This will lead to less stress. Identify solutions and present them calmly. Try using humor or laugh at yourself. Humor can be a great diffuser. Most of all, if you have persistent anger issues at work or at home, don't be afraid to seek help. 
For more details on managing anger, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Father Benedict Groeschel. I often go back to my childhood. In church, we love to be reverent, to Christ present in the Eucharist, to Christ on the cross. But I was also impressed by the reverence of my friends in the Salvation Army. They had a little band. And I used to walk past the band on Sunday morning on my way to church. And I was just a child. But I said, you know, they're trying to pray to God. They're showing reverence to God. All this was reverence. Now what do I see? I hear one irreverence after another. And week after week, month after month, the media churns out things that make fun of religion in general and make fun of Christianity in particular, and particularly make fun of the Catholic Church. No class. Absolutely no class. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Good afternoon, and thank you once again for joining us over the last two hours. If you go to AveMariaRadio.net, you can follow up on today's conversations. We'll have Father General Ricardo's work there for you with Acts 29, as well as the book uh, St. Cetrasenkos wrote about Behold It Is I, Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and also the book uh, Karina Turner, The Boy Who Knew Carlo Acutis. A reminder, if you're listening on Salt and Light Radio in Idaho, our friends there need you, uh, need your help next week. Wednesday to Friday of next week, will be their 2023 Fall Pledge Drive. And if you're listening in Boise, Twin Falls, Caldwell, Bloomington, or anywhere else in that area, please support your local EWTN Catholic radio station. As we go off the air, Catholic Answers Live is ready to take your calls. And we'll be back with more tomorrow on Cresta in the Afternoon. Well, Peggy Stanton will be joining us. We'll talk more about the Senate and uh, other things as well. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.